It's good to see you. Uh, if uh, you're new with us, uh, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Redeemer, um, and it is a joy to walk through uh, together through the season of Advent uh, and expectation of Christ and His coming. Um, and I, I'm so thankful for our band and for the way they, they led us this morning. If you don't know, uh, this the guy right here who was playing acoustic guitar. Uh, this is Josh Cook, and Josh has been a part of the Redeemer family, uh, going back his family, Josh and Joanna and their kiddos, um, and they have been serving overseas uh, in Southeast Asia uh, for several years, and our, our home, uh, they had to leave because of COVID, and they're here now um, waiting to go back, and so they're, they're one of our mission partners, and we're so, we're glad to have them for a season, but we also are, are eager for them to be able to get back to the ministry that God's given them there, so continue to pray for them, and, and we've, we've been praying for them. I know we shared back when they were coming home, back when they were, they were kind of stuck in Thailand for a little while, so continue to be praying for them, and, and we're thankful that Josh could be here with us and help us uh, this morning. So we're going to be in Luke Chapter 2, as, as you heard in our reading this morning, <clears throat> I was recently watching uh, a Christmas episode of a Disney show with one of my kids, um, and basically the story was exactly what you remember every Christmas show or movie to be. Uh, it was the Christmas season. Uh, everything was building upon a big celebration, but something wasn't right. Something ruined it. Something wasn't the same, or someone put too much emphasis on the traditions or the gifts, or, or on just how great it was going to be, or maybe somebody else couldn't get into the spirit of the season uh, the way they used to, um, or maybe they got too wrapped up in the celebration, like the Who's in Whoville, or, or too busy and they forgot about Christmas altogether. And then there's that moment in every single one of these shows, uh, the emotional high point, when the spirit of Christmas really breaks through. Right? You know, you know this. You've seen these. And, and the moral of these tales is what I heard in the show when Elena of Avalor, uh, you can, this is like Disney circa 2016, I think. Uh, Elena of Avalor busts into song and she sings, It's holiday time. The most special of seasons. I'm not going to sing the song. Uh, so come gather around to remember the reason. It's not all the gifts, the food, or decorations, but the spirit of love that marks this celebration. Or maybe you might remember when the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling, how could it be so? It came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags, and he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more? Or maybe for you, it's the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear, like our friend Buddy the Elf told us. Or maybe from the Polar Express, you would hearken to just remember the true spirit of Christmas lies in your heart. And, and what's the lesson, right? Every time, it's the same lesson. Don't get caught up in the rush and the materialism. Don't forget what Christmas is really about, which is family, love, peace, cheer, and happiness. And as Christians, I, I think we can watch those and have this kind of like unease as we watch, right? And it could really frustrate us to see things like this. But I, I think if we look closely, what we'll see is that these moral tales are dabbling about with something very real. 
that there is a longing for something, that the, the human heart is yearning. And all I really want for Christmas is not you, like Mariah told us. Uh, what we really want is peace, true peace, that feeling of rightness in our lives, completeness, wholeness. But that feeling is so elusive. I think especially at Christmas, it's, it, it's the, the feeling, it's, it's like reaching out for running water um, and trying to hold it in your hand. Every year, the hope for Christmas evades the grasp of so many. And Christmas becomes this exercise every year of trying to conjure up the same warm feeling from Christmas's past, trying to get the feeling back, but forgetting that you never really actually had it. And you see, I, I, these, these sentimental uh, celebrations of Christmas, they're dabbling about in the spoils, but they're not feasting on the substance. What we need is peace, true peace. And true peace has its echoes in the sentiments of these Merry Christmas tales. But if we only aim for the peace of Merry Christmas, but never feast on the peace of Christ, it'd be like showing up hungry at Thanksgiving and just smelling everything. We're not made that way. George Whitfield asked this question. He said, how is it that we can celebrate Christmas so easily with so little actual conversation of our very real Savior? And I think the answer is this. It's because we've convinced ourselves that we can have real peace without the Prince of Peace. So this morning we're going to see four things in our text about the real peace of Christ. Number one, we're going to see that peace is what we need. Number two, we're going to see that peace is for the poor. Number three, we'll see that peace is a person. And number four, that peace doesn't end. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us? Uh, We need your help in this season, uh, Father, to look to you. And Father, would, would the aching in our hearts, maybe the hollowness of even some of our celebrating, would it point us to the greater reality that you are the one who meets our needs? And would you help us now as we look at the scriptures, would, would you, by your spirit, would you speak to us? And would you give us ears to hear uh, that we might see and find our satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone? We love you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, number one, peace is what we need. So last week we looked uh, at the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 9, uh, the true hope of Advent. Uh, we heard the promise again this morning as we read. Uh, and, and what was Jesus called in, in, in our reading? He's called the Prince of Peace. And which this, this honestly, I think to a lot of us, sounds like a fairly pedestrian uh, title for Jesus um, in the pantheon of all the titles that Jesus carries. Wonderful Counselor. He's Almighty God. He is Savior, Lord, Emmanuel, and he's the Prince of Peace. Um, and I think, I think it, that doesn't really hit home with us. Uh, because of how we see the word peace and what we've done with it. Historically, peace is the absence of conflict, right? The absence of war. And it does still mean that. Uh, But in our culture, I think we've shrunk it down even further uh, to mean the blissful feeling of good weather. Uh, Zero distractions. Peace is mental rest. Ocean sounds. Uh, That peaceful, easy feeling. A massage. Uh, Or just, we say, just give me some peace and quiet. But in the Bible, peace is a much 
richer idea. There is deeper peace that God offers. In the Old Testament, the word for peace is shalom. Shalom is this idea that everything is complete. It's everything is as it should be. Life is in order. All the many parts of life are in their proper place. Shalom is that, that settled feeling of, of everything being right, the sense of rest. Uh, that when you sit down, there's not this nagging feeling of like, man, I'm missing something. And so, so this piece, that's what we want. It's what we wish for ourselves and for others. It's, uh, the, in fact, it's the, the ancient Hebrew greeting, shalom aleichem, peace be upon you. Uh, it's a, that's a lot deeper than have a nice day. It, it, it's, it's something like this. It's, it's may the Lord's rightness be on you. May God's providence set all things in order for you. God's the fixer, the restorer of what's broken. He's both the creator and uh, the reconciler. And this is what God did for us, right? He restored us, renewed us, gave us his righteousness, reconciled us to himself. He gave us peace with him. So like we saw last week, the, the prophet of Isaiah, he, he's, he's promising a prince of peace, one who's gonna bring restoration, completeness, wholeness. And verse seven, he says it, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. His peace, his shalom, no end. This is the savior, the prince of shalom, the one who will bring peace, completeness. And apart from the glorious presence of the prince, the arrival of Christ, there was no peace. And so peace is what we need. So now let's go to Bethlehem. Let's, let's hear the news of peace. So our second point, peace is for the poor. So before we talk about Luke 2, I want you to go back just a few verses earlier. So we're going to look in chapter 1 in the word, to the words of Mary. So this is probably just like a page back in your Bible. And the words of Mary, she rejoiced at the news of a Savior coming to her. And here's what she's saying about the Lord. And in Luke 1, in verse 51, she's saying, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So, so Mary is singing about, he's singing about a couple groups of people. I, I think we can see here. She's singing about the proud, the mighty, the rich. And we're gonna call that group the proud. And she's singing about the humble, the lowly, the hungry. And we're gonna call that group the poor. And so now in Luke 2, Luke's going to show us those two groups again. So first we're going to see the poor, the lowly. Look in verse 8. The pronouncement is about to come, but look where it's going to come. In verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. So here, here we have it. The Prince of Peace is on the scene, and it's time for the royal announcement to go out. And who does the scene shift to? Not a palace, not to the White House press room. The royal decree is going to go out, the birth announcement to end all birth announcements. And before the tabloids are informed, before the family members even get a Facebook post, God the Father makes his announcement, not to the local magistrates or religious scholars, but to a dark Judean hillside, to the night shift, to the shepherds. Dirty, low repute shepherds. God wanted to shout it out to somebody. My baby boy, my only son is here. It's, it's not time for everyone to know it yet, but someone needs to know. And so he tells shepherds. So what were the shepherds' names? 
I don't know. So what was significant about him choosing shepherds? And I, I really believe the answer is the significance of the shepherds is their insignificance. If the greatest announcement to date in human history was good news for the lowest members of society, then this great news belongs to all of us, to everyone. If God sent his angels to shepherds, no one is outside of the reach of these good tidings, this great joy. And so this is the foolishness of God demonstrating as wiser than men, the incredible pearl of great price hidden in a Judean stable, shared on an obscure Judean field, his glory concealed in the, low, the, the lowly ruins of Bethlehem in a tiny baby and the angel concert for the ages at a little dive in the country. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, we sing. Verse nine, then the angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. The shepherds were right to be terrified. It's not like they were confused. Oh, it's just an angel, nothing to worry about. No, the glory of the Lord was shining around them. The same glory which could swallow up the earth, which could destroy all things, if not for God's mercy. But then the, wor- the wonderful, merciful words did come. Fear not. When the grace of God is on the scene, there is nothing to fear in God. This is the, the euangelion, the gospel, the good news. That's what the angels called it. Don't be afraid, they said. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And the message comes from the glory of angels to the ordinariness of shepherds. Such a universal message. Good news, great joy for all people. And the Lord saw fit that he would take it to the very bottom category of the all people category. It's not just for shepherds, but it is for shepherds. It's not for the proud, the powerful. The context of God's salvation is wide. It it had been for his chosen people, Israel, yes, but as had been the plan from eternity past, the great joy was never only to be for one nation. No, let all the peoples praise you, God. Now for the other group Mary mentions. They're a little more obscure in our story, uh, but they're definitely there. The proud, the mighty, the rich. Uh, To see them, we need to go back a few verses. So I want you to look back at the beginning of Luke 2, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, You've probably heard these words a lot. Uh, Starting in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. So the shepherds had no names, but here's some names. Uh, Luke is not just including this little tidbit so that we'd all you know, learn how to say Quirinius, which is fun to say, say that one a lot. Um, it's not just to teach us Roman history, but, but we are, remember why we're in Bethlehem in the first place. God's sovereign plan prophesied for Jesus to be born to a particular place at a particular time. And God's people, Israel, they, they, were, they were living under the sway of the powerful empire of Rome. And Caesar Augustus, the leader of Rome, he's wanting to know how many people, how much money do I have? How many people do I have? So he's, I want to count them. He takes a census. So Mary and Joseph have to get up and they have to travel back to Joseph's hometown. 
It was a fearful, terrible time for God's people. Hope was far away. An oppressive force occupying God's people. Very little peace to be found. So who is Caesar Augustus, and why does this even matter? And if you're not a history person, you can just indulge me for just a second. This is, this is worth it, I think. Um, only about 60 years before this night, there had been another birth. Uh, in fact, this birth doesn't get any play in the Bible, uh, but we talk about it in our history books. Uh, in fact, in my kids' co-op, they, they learn a song that teaches them about uh, a ton of history events, and setting them all in order, uh, a timeline song. And at this point in their song, they sing, uh, I'll, I'll sing it for you, Roman dictator Julius Caesar. That's, that's all I'm gonna get, we're going to get this morning. Um, you may have heard of Julius Caesar, uh, but then... Uh, the next line in the song is about Julius Caesar's adopted son. It goes, Caesar Augustus and the Pax Romana. And as you may know, you, if you may know a little bit about Julius Caesar, right, you, either through history or through Shakespeare, uh, he had kind of a tumultuous end to his life. Uh, you know, the whole etu brute thing. And after he was assassinated by people trying to seize control from him, his closest male relative, Octavian, was named the heir. And over the next few years, there's a struggle. Octavian kills off the people who assassinated Caesar. And then later, his name was changed to Caesar Augustus. And he became the first emperor of Rome. And Augustus brought a newfound stability and growth to the Roman Empire that would last for centuries. And in 9 BC, only a few years before the birth of Jesus, there is an inscription that was made. It was, was, it was celebrating the, the birthday of, C, of, of Caesar Augustus um, and, and talking about the calendar and how it should, be, should find its place in him. And listen to this inscription and what it says about the new era of Caesar Augustus. It says, this inscription reads, The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward disillusion, he restored it once more. Emperor Augustus, who, was, who, who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news concerning him. The good news the gospel. Concerning who? Caesar Augustus. The gospel of Rome was a gospel about a Roman peace, the Pax Romana. It was, and it was against this backdrop, against the backdrop of the Roman peace, a peace ushered in by the savior of Rome, Caesar Augustus, the man that they said had become God. And his peace was a peace established by power, by might, by conquest. It was the kind of peace where you've got to keep looking over your shoulder, that kind of peace. Everyone wants peace. And Caesar, he was worshiped and adored as the one who brought it, the one to end wars and set all things right, the one who was the manifestation of God. Does this sound kind of familiar? God's people were in captivity in the middle of the peace of Rome. But they knew that this peace was not theirs. They resisted the false peace of Rome. Even today, false pieces cry out to us, don't they? Man, we're suckers for a false peace. God decried the false prophets in Jeremiah for declaring superficial and false peace. Today, the false peace of entertainment, hours of Netflix and YouTube and Disney Plus, streaming giving us that feeling of, ah, I can rest and watch. 
The false peace of a full stomach or a full bank account. The false peace of parties and lights and family gatherings and Christmas spirit. And even here against the false peace of the Pax Romana, the false gospel of Augustus, who had claimed, they had claimed had brought shalom, that he'd set all things in order. Against that backdrop, in that dark Judean sky, reality came through. True peace came, but it didn't come to Caesar. It came to the lowly, not the proud. For who would listen in the middle of the Roman peace? Who would have ears to hear in the climax of perfection? The poor in spirit will hear. Blessed be the poor in spirit because theirs is not the kingdom of this earth. Luke's saying the peace of God won't be ushered in by Caesar, by a man who claimed to have become God, but by Jesus, a God who indeed became man. Blessed be the poor in spirit. Those who know that peace doesn't come from this earth, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So amidst their false peace, gospel of peace, and amidst your false pieces and mine, the angel says, not to Caesar, not to the powerful, but to the shepherds and to us. Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news, gospel news of great joy that will be for all the people. The prince of peace came to the lowly. Number three, peace is a person. Keep going in verse 11. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Peace is on the scene. He's here. The war is over. Your decades of battling sin, your lifelong struggle for contentment, the peace of Christ comes to you. In a very real sense, the pronouncement of the angels is made to all of humanity. And all of us are the shepherds, undeserving, obscure, a blip on the radar of history, unworthy of such a message, such a grace. So what what could the angel have said to them and even to us? God could have said, today for you, destruction. It's over. My patience has run out. You've disappointed me long enough. That would have been a just message. In fact, through much of the Old Testament, this this was the expectation of God's people, that the coming of God would mean judgment, the destruction of evil in the world. But now here stands an angel, a fearsome messenger of God whose presence is terrifying. And what does the angel say to them and to us today? Today means no more waiting. Today is the day. The gospel came to you today. Today in the city of David. Jesus is fulfilling all the promises of God's people. The the, the promises they knew so well. All the promises finding their yes in Jesus. Today in the city of David, a savior is born for you. Not against you. You don't deserve it, but Jesus is for you. A rescuer is great. A savior, that's, that's all great, I guess. But a savior for me? A rescuer who's rescuing me? That's incredible. A savior is born for you who is Christ, the Lord. God's anointed one, the Messiah, the promised one of God. 
He's here. God is here. Emmanuel, God with us. Peace is the person of Jesus. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2. He said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Peace is a person. And there is no peace for us apart from Christ. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is, not, there is no such thing. And if you don't believe it, a whole army of angels showed up right after this, a heavenly host. We, I like to, we like to think of it as a choir, but this is an army of an a- angels, not to destroy you, but to praise God, an army of peace. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. I love these two extremes. Jesus is the glory in heaven and he's on earth and now there can be peace. This is more than the peace that Scrooge felt in Charles Dickens' old tale. When he gave Bob Cratchit the day off, right, after, after he'd been visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, future, um, and he paid for Tiny Tim's medical expenses, right, this was the, the, this, this next morning, it was this great redemption tale. Sure, it's an, it's an incredible story. It's actually, I love that story. Um, it's a great outworking of peace. But that's not worth a, wor- a worldly year, year wide, or a year long, or not year, yearly, there you go, a worldwide yearly celebration. That's not worth that. No, our peace is even better than that. Because of the person of Jesus, our peace, our peace is that we're actually all tiny Tim. We are crippled and lame, headed for a hopeless grave, and the sinless, glorious Son of God, Jesus, who is our peace, he emptied himself so he could take our spiritual disease, so he could take our spiritual death, and by his stripes, we are healed. Better yet, one day, death itself, disease itself, will be destroyed by Christ. Also, we're all Bob Cratchit, spiritually poor and impoverished, But the perfect shalom of God came to set all things right. And the one who owns solar systems, he emptied himself. For our sakes, he became poor so that we might inherit his great riches. And oh, are we all like Ebenezer Scrooge, spiritually dead, consumed by our greed. And the lamb who was slain awakened our selfish hearts. He took the shame of our greed and pride and rose again that we might now count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is what he's done. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Christ himself, he became our peace, forgiving our worst, darkest, most shameful sins, restoring our relationship with the Father, making right the relationship between us and others. And now, now we get to be ambassadors of that sort of peace. And we get to bring reconciliation and completeness, the, the peace of Jesus everywhere we go. So, so how will we respond to this offer of peace? Will you rest in him? Will you like the shepherds? Will you hurry off to worship the king, the prince of peace? Or will the peace of Christ be drowned out 
by the familiarity and the distraction of every other piece. Look, this is a, a 2,000-year-old story. Uh, Luke, Luke 2, this might be one of the most commonly read passages. It happens every year. We get, to, we get to hear parts of it in Charlie Brown. Such a great, cool thing. They read so much scripture in that. Uh, th- th- this is such a common passage. But, but you know what? It's, 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 it's old to many. It's tired. Our world has gutted it in the sweet nativity scenes that stand side by side with Santa and Frosty and in the house is the elf on a shelf. And so I just asked, so how, how, how old are you? You don't have to answer that out loud. Um, how old are you? Are you 50, 60, maybe 30? Maybe you're seven years old in here today. So for however long, however old you are, 60, 50 years, 30 years, seven years, for most of those years, you've probably decorated a house, put up a tree, you've thought about the baby in the manger. And so I'd ask, is it, is it old yet? Have you lost it? Or is the miracle of the incarnation more real today than ever? Your sins are forgiven. You have peace with God. What will your response to the peace of God be this year? In order to receive Jesus as your peace, what false peace must die? What Roman peace, what American peace will have to go? And the last and maybe the, the, the best thing about this piece is number four. True peace does not end. Speaking of the coming Christ, Isaiah said this in chapter 11. He said of him, he said, Righteous, righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. And then he says in verse six of Isaiah 11, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. There's still more peace to come. The wolf and the lamb. I mean, we got the food chain hanging out together. Perfect shalom, the presence of the Lord with us forever. And I think in a year like 2020, maybe this year more than ever, we feel the lack of peace. We feel the lack of shalom. In fact, we feel the opposite of peace. We feel constant strife. We feel the opposite of rest. We feel constant restlessness. And maybe this is where 2020 actually can serve us. When will all be right in the world? Is it when the vaccine comes? Is it when the elders stop asking you to wear masks to church? Is 2021, that's your shalom, that's your peace. Is your peace a new administration? Or maybe the administration after that. Is shalom the perfect Christmas? 
perfect meal with the right people, the warm feeling of being right in your family, with your kids, with your parents, at your workplace, with your neighbors, is the perfect peace, that future spouse that you just know is coming. Which dream, if it came true this Christmas season, would give you rest? And, and that, that's why we practice Advent. That's why we have expectation baked into our rejoicing. That's why we light candles. Yes, to remember the waiting of God's people uh, for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to come on the scene, but also to remind us to long for the true shalom, that forever peace that Jesus will bring when he comes again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that all of life is Advent. All of life a longing for his coming again. And amazingly, Bonhoeffer wrote that from a German prison. And just days before World War II ended, and just, I mean, just a few days before Adolf Hitler killed himself, days before Bonhoeffer would have been free to return home to his ministry, to his life, to his fiance that was waiting, he was executed in the very prison where he wrote that all of life is Advent. It's not that we won't ever experience peace here. We can, we will. But Christ says, my peace is what you'll receive. My peace I give you. And this is the peace that's brought around, brought about by his presence. He's with us. It's not brought around and brought to us through the unwrapping and wrapping of presence, but the presence of the king of peace in us, with us. And we can have that no matter how much unrest is around us. This peace is also, though, not here. There's a way in which it won't be here for a while. It won't be here until he comes again. There's another advent, another coming of Christ, where he will give us his peace again and fully. Because Jesus, our peace, he's coming again. Not from a young girl's womb this time but through the clouds in glory. Not to a feeding trough, to, to an obscure town, but on a white horse to judge the living and the dead, a sword proceeding from his mouth. And on that day, he's gonna set his feet on the Mount of Olives, as the prophet Zechariah says, and from him, living waters will flow. And he will be the king over all the earth. And true peace will be the air that we breathe. Don't forget that day's coming. That day is not here yet. And one day true peace forever, shalom, will be yours. And so today, like our brother, the Apostle John, in his final words in the Bible, today we get to cry, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for that day. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we are so easily we are so easily distracted by those things that we think might calm and give rest to our soul. But we are reminded again today that the only peace that can truly be ours is from you. So Father, would, would you help us? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that truly believe that there is no peace for us apart from resting in Jesus, his finished work, 
his, his perfect life, his death for us, and now he's our risen king, our peace. And so, Father, would you help us today by your spirit? We thank you for this reminder of your word, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.